listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. This week we are in chapter 14 of the story. We've been walking through all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And lately we've been talking about the kings of Israel, right? Guys like Saul, and then we have David, and then we have Solomon, of course. And last week we covered Solomon, and Solomon was what? He was this really, really smart guy, right? Wisest guy that ever lived. Person that shows up late to the quiz and then just like aces it without even studying, yeah? So we had Solomon, but the problem with Solomon is that later in his life, his heart was led astray. Solomon gave in to the idolatry of his wives, the wives that he married. Solomon had like 700 wives and it was something crazy like that, but what the problem was is that ultimately not his head, but his heart was led astray. And God said that after this happened, he said, Solomon, what's going to happen is I'm going to tear the kingdom away from your line, and I'm going to give it to someone else. And so we see this happen, actually, in the very next generation. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, becomes king. But then there's this, this other person, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, Jeroboam. Get it? It's like, they, they, like trying to intentionally confuse us. The names are very, very similar. I get it. Um, Jeroboam becomes king of the northern kingdom. So Israel, this, this family of God, experiences this fracturing, this massive split. You have the northern kingdom ruled by Jeroboam, and that includes the ten tribes, the ten northern tribes of Israel. Remember, there were 12 tribes of Israel. And then there's the southern kingdom of Judah. And this, of course, is Judah, and then the tribe of Benjamin as well. And this is ruled by Rehoboam, and this southern kingdom is, is kind of the, the kingdom that stays more loyal to, to David and to his throne. And in chapter 14, it's just king after king after king of the northern and the southern kingdom um, failing, utterly failing in their calling to, to live, to rule the way that they were supposed to. So it's, it's, it, most of these kings were, were bad. A few of them were kind of a mixed bag. There were one or two that was like, okay, God says this one was, was actually a good king. They ruled well. They worshiped the Lord. They destroyed idols. But for the most part, uh, it's just a, a bunch of bad kings, one after the other. And the main point I want to focus your attention on in this chapter is that everybody is fighting everybody, okay? That's the, the headline of chapter 14. Everybody is fighting everybody. 
everybody. There's conflict just, just everywhere. Rehoboam is fighting Jeroboam. The northern kingdom is fighting the southern kingdom. The, the Israelites, his family of God, who used to be all united, they're now divided, and, and there's, there's fighting going on. There's, there's infighting. Five of the kings actually are assassinated. So there's fighting within. There's fighting from without as well. The nation of Israel comes and actually takes off one of the kings into exile. We're going to see more of that as we move on in the story. There's internal fighting too. One of the kings ends up committing suicide. So there's, there's fighting, 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 and more fighting. So it's, it's all about conflict. Conflict is what I want to focus our attention on today. So as I read through the text for this morning, I want you to, to listen for the fighting. Listen for the conflict. Spoiler alert, uh, the fighting and the conflict will not last. God is eventually, in the chapters ahead, going to bring peace and unification once again. But for now, for today, we're talking about conflict and fighting. So I'm going to read from 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, 12 through 17, and then I'll jump up to verse 19. If you have your copy of the story, it's going to be on page 193. Otherwise, 1 Kings 12, it'll be up on the screen here as well. And I'll ask you to rise today for the reading of God's Word. First Kings 12, beginning at verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. Then verse 19, So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I ask this morning that the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I have a confession to make to you this morning, okay? Ever since I was a little kid, I always wanted to be in a fight, like, I don't know if this is a guy thing or what, but in my mind, like, I, I thought I would just, you know, I would rock it too. Not just like I would be in a fight, but I would, no one would stand a chance. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd walk through the, you know, I've seen enough westerns and enough action films to know how this works, right? 
Guys are playing a game of poker. Somebody besmirches the name of your wife. We use that word, besmirch, right? We don't, we should. Someone besmirches the name of your wife. You grab a chair and you, you kind of knock them over the, you know, the head with them. And, that, and that's how a fight works, right? Uh, I'm, I'm ashamed to tell you that uh, as your pastor, I've never actually been in one of those fights. So don't hold that against me. I have, however, been in my share of conflict and in my share of arguments. And my guess is that you have as well. Uh, here's another meme that I thought was important to share with you as we're talking about conflict. I'll give you a moment to just kind of absorb what's going on here. See, sometimes we're, we're fighting for our loved ones. Other times we're fighting against our loved ones. Winning an argument with my wife is a, a very rare thing. I'm guessing many of you can identify with this as well. So we're talking about conflict this morning. And we turn to the book of James. Here's what James tells us about conflict. James 4.1, he asks the question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Now, this is important because a lot of times we're talking about conflicts or fighting or whatever. We'll ask, well, what are they fighting about, right? They're fighting over a girl. They're fighting over money. They're fighting over land, something like that. And on one level, this is true, but what James tells us here is what causes those, those fights? Is it not this, that your passions are at war where? It's in you. See, James is telling us that the origin story of every single fight, every single conflict that's ever occurred since the beginning of time, where does it start? Where's the origin of that? It's right here in the human heart. A lot of times we think of, well, they're, they're fighting about something out there. The reality is that it starts with the sinful desires that, that are fighting, that are, that are going against each other in our own hearts from the beginning of time, every fight ever. Now, conflict is unavoidable. If you've lived more than a few days on this earth, you will understand that. So the question isn't so much, how can I avoid conflict and fighting in my life or like how can i how can i live a conflict free existence the the question for the christian is more how can i walk faithfully through conflict how can i handle conflict in a way that that honors god and and honors the dignity of, of the people that I'm, I'm fighting with even so today you're going to get a preview of a new table talk series that we're going to be kicking off on january 7th table talk is uh, a ministry that we started here at church, and what it is, is uh, it's a, a limited series discussion. It takes place on, on Sunday nights, so it'll last, you know, a three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. This one is going to last six weeks long, six consecutive Sundays, and it's called The Art of Peacemaking. And really what it is, is uh, it's just a, a Bible study. I've got the curriculum actually right here. It's from uh, an organization called Ambassadors of Reconciliation, uh, I've done a lot of training with them. The Synod, the, the Lutheran Brethren Synod, has done a, a fair amount of training with them as well. This is really just a Bible study is what it is. And so today, you're going to get the chance to, to kind of walk through at least the, the basics and get a taste of, of, of what this is all about. Now, this next picture you're going to see, this is the key graphic that we're going to walk through today. This is kind of the, the different steps in the, the peacemaking process. I don't know if you can, you can read everything there, but you, you'll be able to as we go through it. Now, this graphic is in the shape of a cross, and that's important. That's deliberate. 
Because every single conflict that any one of us has, there's a vertical dimension to it, and there's a horizontal dimension to it as well. The vertical dimension is that this conflict directly affects my relationship with God. The horizontal dimension is, of course, that's kind of the, the obvious part we see, is every conflict, every disagreement, every fight, everything always takes place among other human beings here on earth, right? Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a group, maybe it's whatever it is. So there's the vertical and there's the horizontal dimension. So what we're going to do today is I want to walk through each of these six different parts of how to, how to handle conflict as a Christian, how to walk through this peacemaking process, okay? So step number one, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. Very first step, whenever you're approaching any type of, of, of heated discussion or difficult situation, remember whose you are. I want you to read this Bible verse here with me. We have this up on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Please say this with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, if someone were to approach you on the street and ask you, who are you, anyway, probably a lot of different answers that, that we would go with. Now, personally, myself, I'd be like, well, I'm Luke, that's my name, Luke Chelhog, my last name. Uh, I'm a husband, I'm a father, uh, I'm a reluctant Vikings fan, and you'd go like, maybe not necessarily in that order. <laughs> but Scripture tells us, God tells us that our functional primary identity is none of those things. As a believing child of God, your identity is in Christ. That's what Scripture tells us. That's what it, it cements into our souls. Who am I? I am in Christ. I am a new creation. The old you is gone. The new you is here. The old one has, has passed away. So there's no more old Luke. There's just the new Luke. Let's read this other passage here I want to share with you from Galatians 3, 27 through 28. Would you say this with me? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have what? Put on Christ. You wear, dear Christian, you wear Jesus wherever you go. You are clothed in an impenetrable suit of His righteousness that cannot be taken away. See, because of what He did for us on that cross, in, in dying for us, and then in, in rising again through faith, we put on Christ, and that means we are what? We are beloved sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. That's our primary identity. Whose am I? Remember whose you are. You are a forgiven, blood-bought son or daughter of God's. You are His. 
Remember whose you are. And it's important to, to start here because in the midst of, of conflict, when you start seeing red, you need to start, your brain starts going all over the place. We forget. Whose am I? Who am, who, whose am I? I'm, I am God. So that's the first part. Remember whose you are. Second part in this vertical dimension, repent from your sins. Repent before God. I invite you to read this verse here up with me. We'll have it on the screen. Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Join with me in this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Repent before God. Now, repent may seem like a kind of a harsh word, especially if you're in the middle of a conflict where you know that you are not ultimately the one that started it, right? You know that, that, that you're not the one who initiated this thing, and that's the, the difficulty with these conflicts, right, is rarely, if ever, is it the case where it's a 50-50 kind of thing, where one person contributes 50% and the other person... That would be nice if it was neat and cut and, and dried like that. It's really not. Um, personally, I have this spiritual gift where I am right 100% of the time. You know, I understand not everybody's blessed with that. You can talk to my wife. Don't talk to her afterwards, actually. She'll, she'll set the record straight. It's never 50-50, is it? But the thing is, whatever conflict is, is going on, even if it's just 0.01% of that conflict that I'm contributing towards, the only person whose actions that, that I'm responsible for are my own. See, responsibility and taking ownership for our actions in this is, is what we're talking about here. And even though we are new creatures in Christ, we still struggle with our old sin nature. Matthew 15, 19, it tells us, this, for out of the heart, again, back to, to this heart, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Now, here's the truth. Whenever there is conflict of any kind, you can take this to the bank, there is usually an idol lurking behind the scenes. Whenever there's conflict happening of any kind, there is an idol lurking behind the scenes. You start to, to peel back the layers and you realize, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's pride, maybe it's arrogance, maybe it's love of money or the fear of man or the pursuit of, of pleasure or, or just chasing the likes on social media, whatever it is, there's, there's some idol that, that's usually behind all this. Now, you might ask, well, that sounds a little bit... Strange, I could see in certain cases, but well, let's, let's take an, an example case for this, all right? Think of this. Let's say there's a guy named Fred, okay? Anybody here named Fred? Am I going to offend anyone? Okay, no, we're good, all right. Nobody here named Fred. Fred wants a promotion at work, okay? Fred's worked hard for it. He's put a lot of years in at the company, and he thinks he deserves it. Fred doesn't end up getting that promotion, and understandably, Fred is frustrated. He gets angry, and some friction develops between Fred and his boss, and maybe between Fred and, and his coworkers, or Fred and his, his family even. He takes it home with him. We've got a conflict. 
We've got a conflict on our hands here. Well, let's ask the question, what's really going on? Let's, let's drill a little bit deeper. Okay, Fred wanted a promotion. Promotion is a good thing. It's a God-honoring thing. It's a way for him to faithfully fulfill his vocation and to provide for his family, a way for him to love his neighbors. Fred desired a promotion. Nothing wrong with that. That desire turned into a demand. And he couldn't live without it. This is just one possible scenario, by the way. So this is not saying that this is the case all the time, but it, this is a, a way that you can see, like, you start to peel back the layers and there, there's something more there, isn't there? There's something more going on. See, Fred wanted and he, he needed to have that promotion. He didn't know who he was with, without it and his identity was affected negatively. See, Fred was bowing down at the idol of the approval of others. Whether it was his own ego, maybe it was his own ego. He just wanted to have that, and his identity was bound up in whether he had that promotion. Maybe it was the opinion of, of his wife who had been hounding him for getting that, trying to, to push him further. Maybe it was uh, his, his relatives. Maybe it was his parents. He'd never been able to, to satisfy them. Could be any number of things, but you can see there's an idol hidden there, isn't there? And that's the case with pretty much any conflict. And God, what He does is He invites us to examine ourselves and to be honest with Him about the idols in our hearts, those things that, that kind of vie for our allegiance with Him. So that's step number two, repent before God. Number three, receive God's forgiveness. You may remember a couple of weeks back, we were talking about King David. King David did this thing where he committed uh, two sort of twin sins, adultery and murder with Bathsheba and then Uriah. You remember this? And then he tried to cover the whole thing up. It was a really kind of an ugly, sordid tale. But eventually, God sent this guy, Nathan, the prophet, to him to confront him with it because David wouldn't come to it, come to repentance on his own. And, and Nathan said, you are the man. And if you remember what, what happened then after David responded by confessing, let's, let's read this, this verse together, 2 Samuel 12, 13. David said to Nathan, please join with me in reading this. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. I have sinned against the Lord. So he comes to confession. What does Nathan say? Well, does he say, try harder? Does he say, make sure you never do that again? No, he says, the Lord has what? Put away your sin. He's forgiven you. Do you know that God doesn't ever get tired of forgiving you? Do you know that? That God is really, really good at forgiving he doesn't do it in some kind of begrudging way, like, well, I guess I'll just, I'll forgive him this one more time, but make sure you don't let that happen again or else. We don't see that, do we? We see God get forgiving 70 times 7 and beyond. He's generous. His forgiveness is boundless. And whenever we come before Him in sorrow and regret and confession, His forgiveness is going to meet us there. 
So that's receive God's forgiveness. That's kind of everything in the, the vertical dimension. So let's move on to the horizontal dimension. We're talking about with other people. So this next one, the very first step in that horizontal process is confess to the other person. This is where it gets real, right? It's one thing to sit alone in a room and confess to a God that you cannot see. It's another thing to look a person in the eye and to tell them, man, I messed up. I hurt you. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Which one of those is harder? Pretty clear, right? But it's actually necessary for healing. I want to read this verse with you as well from James 5.16. invite you to join with me. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that what you may be healed. I don't know if you've noticed this to be true in your own life, but doesn't it seem like this is the point in any sort of conflict when just the air goes out of the room and you can finally exhale, when, when somebody is willing to be the bigger person and to stop justifying and, and to stop denying and to just be willing to say, man, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I did wrong and I am so sorry. Not... I'm sorry if I may have offended you. That's a step in the right direction. But it also betrays an ignorance on your part because it reveals that you don't actually know or believe that you've done anything wrong. Right? That's different from saying something like, hey, I am sorry I said this thing, and then actually name that thing. Be specific. Specificity is important. Be specific about it. I did this thing to you yesterday. It was wrong. You didn't deserve it, and I am sorry. Full stop, period. Confessing to the other person is a game changer, even if it's a relatively small thing that you're confessing to. Try it sometime, and you'll see like how much it changes the dynamics in the room. So that's the first step. Next step, forgive as God forgave you. Another verse here for us to read together. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, as Christians, God calls us not just to be people who ask for forgiveness, but people who bestow forgiveness on others. Out of the abundance we have received, that is to overflow to, to other people, right? Since we have been forgiven so much by God in Christ, who are we to withhold it from others? So if we hold on to bitterness and refuse to forgive, that reveals that our hearts are fundamentally misaligned toward God. 
It reveals a, a sin, a hidden sin that's, that's there, a kind of hypocrisy where we see ourselves as more worthy of grace than others. Now, important caveat here, this kind of hypocrisy I'm talking about is different from saying, man, like, I'm trying so hard to forgive this person, I'm just not there yet. Like, I still feel angry that this is not an easy thing for me. It's a process, and I'm walking through it. Because God can work with that. God can work with that. He can forgive even our unforgiving hearts. And that struggle reveals the presence of the new person, the new, your new identity, wrestling it out with the old. So in a weird kind of way, it's actually a good sign. That's not what I'm talking about. When we talk about the hypocrisy, we're talking about someone who says, I'm not even going to try forgiving this person anymore. Just, I'm giving up on it. I'm not going to put any effort into it. Not even going to try. I refuse. Because when we do that, we harden our hearts and we put our souls in jeopardy. Jesus is abundantly clear about this in the New Testament. Forgive as God forgave you. And then finally, we get to this last step, restore with gentleness. Restore with gentleness. Gentleness being the key word here. Another passage here for us to read from James 5, 19 through 20. Just join with me in reading this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Did you know that part of your job as a believing child of God is to help course correct your brothers and sisters in Christ when they wander? That's part of our responsibility. That's part of our calling. That's what James is, is saying here. But why do we do this? What's the point? Is it just to, to call out somebody else, to, to highlight their sin and to kind of build up our own righteousness? No. He says, will what? Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. See, we do it out of love. We do it out of concern for the soul of this other person to, to help restore their relationship with God in the same way that a doctor might set a bone, right? It's a painful thing at the time, and again, it's necessary for healing. Now, in the coming chapters of the story, we'll see God restore a remnant of Israel. They're going to be punished at the hands of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, but God's not going to forget His promise. He's not going to forget His covenant. He's going to bring back a remnant to the promised land, to the holy land, and He's going to restore His people. So just to, to review where we've been this morning, we've got the vertical dimension the horizontal, right? Vertical dimension starts out, remember whose you are, right? Then there's repent before God, receive God's forgiveness, then we go into the, to the horizontal, and it's confess to the other person, forgive as God forgave you, and restore with gentleness. So that's kind of where, where we're headed with this, this whole table talk series. Now, I want to ask you to do something right now. I've never, I don't know if I've ever done this in a sermon before. I want to ask you to get out your phones. 
Get out those smartphones. I can wait. Get out your smartphones. Open up the camera app. And in your bulletin, there's an insert, and it has a QR code on it. I want you to scan that QR code. If you've never done this before, it's pretty cool. You just hover your phone over it, and it will automatically pick up on that code, and then uh, a little notification should pop up. You can hit that notification. You can do it on your bulletins, or you can use the, the QR code up here, too. If you have trouble, we'll figure it out afterwards. But I want you to, to, to do that, to pull this up on your phone. And if you've been blessed by what you've heard today, fill out that form and click submit before you leave from here today. Because it's one of those things where it's like, well, yeah, I'll sign up later and I'm thinking about it. And if you want to learn more about this, and my hope and my prayer is, is that you do, because I think this can benefit all of us. I encourage you to fill out that form, read about it, click submit. You're not, uh, you're not saying I'm going to attend every single one of these or something, but it is committing to, to, to at least come. So I want to encourage you to do that as we uh, have more opportunities to, to learn together. So let me uh, close us out in prayer here today. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we confess that we live in a world of darkness. There is darkness around us. There is fighting around us, outside of us, inside of us, and between people that we love very deeply. God, we ask that you would bring healing to those relationships. We ask that you would put it on our hearts to be willing to have the hard conversations with those that we love, God, because it's worth it and because you promise to sustain us even through the difficult things. Hey, friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.